This is the Living Vertizano podcast, brought to you by The Church at Riverstone, a fellowship of the Church of the Nazarene in Madera, California. Our episode today focuses on Matthew 22, 1-14, which looks at Jesus' parable of the wedding banquet. Together, we will be discussing preparations for the kingdom of heaven and the wedding banquet that is coming. Hi, everybody. I'm Nick. I'm Natasha. I'm Brittany. I'm Derek. And we are the Living Vertizano Podcast, and we're back with you this week to continue our journey in Matthew. Um, as a quick reminder, last week we looked at Matthew, well, we finished up Matthew chapter 21, uh, where we examined another of Jesus's parables, specifically the parable of the tenants. And with that parable, um, we discussed our role as stewards in God's kingdom. And today we're going to uh, pick up from there, starting in, in Matthew chapter 22. Uh, we'll be looking at verses 1 to 14 today, uh, where we look at the uh, another of Jesus's parables. Uh, this one is the parable of the wedding banquet. And I believe we have Derek reading for us. So Derek, would you read Matthew 22 verses 1 to 14? Yes. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find." So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, How did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, Tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness, for there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. All right. Thank you for that, Derek. Um, as we dive into uh, the conversation around this parable, um, I want to start by just uh, kind of putting it in in place in the context of what's going on around it. And so, uh, again, this is happening, That this teaching, this conversation is happening when Jesus is in the, the temple um, in this kind of week before his death, and he's already done some teaching, and there's already been this uh, interaction between him and the Pharisees. He's already, uh, I guess, put a target on his head because he cleared the temple um, of all of the uh, booths and and, and uh, livestock and stuff that they were selling. Um, and then he, as a reminder, last week told that parable of the tenants where he calls out the the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. They recognize that he is calling them out, uh, and it even ends with the the statement that they looked for a way to arrest him. Um, and so you've already got this kind of tension building 
um, in this interaction between Jesus and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and those that are around. And Jesus just continues on. He doesn't pull back. And so we jump into this parable where Jesus is is just continuing to lay it on to let people know, you know, what's happening, this, this kind of changing of the guard that is going to be coming. And that's where we find ourselves in this parable. Well, I think right off, as, as you were saying, Nick, it kind of falls perfectly in line with this conversation. I mean, Jesus's last comment to, to in instruction to the Pharisees really directed at the Pharisees is, you know, that essentially the kingdom of heaven is going to be taken away from them and it's going to be given to others. And then he's like, let me tell you a story. And this basically illustrates exactly what it is that Jesus has said in the preceding chapter there, there at the close. And so I think that's, that's a theme that Jesus then wants to expand upon. And we see little glimpses into what this new kingdom looks like that Jesus has been painting a picture of as we've journeyed along with him throughout Matthew. And so the, the, um, I think it would be good if we kind of talked about who the people that Jesus is addressing in this parable are. So the first one is the King. And and so the King, God, the father is, is preparing a wedding banquet for his son, for, for Christ. And so he's sent out, uh, he sent out servants. And we talked about this last week in, in a similar manner. Um, he sent out prophets before. Um, and so, and then, uh, you know, we see those who have rejected the, the word of the king and those being like the, the Pharisees and the, the teachers of the law, the Sadducees, the, the leaders of the church at this time are those that have been given this and kind of rejected it. And then we go on to see that he invites uh, anyone, right? He invites people off the street. And so that would kind of be like the Gentiles going outside of the people of Israel to invite others in. And so it's a picture of what the kingdom of is, is going to be like. And I, I even, you know, uh, this was talked about on Sunday when we kind of had our discussion that, you know, everyone was having um, about, you know, that the good and the bad were invited. So those who were going to be obedient and those who weren't. So we have like the plethora, just like we had last week in the story. There, we saw all these elements of these people in the story um, of the vineyard, and now we have the same thing set up in this parable, the wedding banquet. Mm-hmm. I wonder how, um, like, if this is only addressing the the Pharisees and teachers of the law, or if it actually is expanding even beyond that to encompass all of Israel. Um, yeah, I think that's a fair, fair, fair statement. Because that, like, I mean, you can see where the Pharisees and, and like the teachers would fit in it. But then also, like you see that, you know, the um, the servants were sent out and in, initially to all who had been invited and but they refused to come. So just people right. refusing to come, some of them going uh, to their field, others to their own business and then others who actually seize the servants and kill them. And so you kind of just see all these different people and where they might fit. And, and so essentially in this parable, Jesus is, is pinning different things. And I think in last week's parable, he definitely pinned the Pharisees to the wall. Like he is saying like, this is you guys, you guys have missed it. But I think he expands it maybe a little bit this week to, to say, 
it's not just the ones who have chosen to kill my messengers who are at fault here. It's right. also those who have who decided to just ignore my messengers, to who decided to go on about their own business, who decided to do their own thing instead of uh, heeding in obedience what I was calling them to. Like it's it's everybody that's now encompassed in this conversation about you know the kingdom of heaven was for these people, but because they have chosen to do something else, I'm going to move beyond my chosen people and make all of them, make everybody um, potentially the chosen. And even, I, I would say, at the heart of this, it really isn't. And the the two sides of obedience and disobedience mm-hmm. and laying it out for you know all those who have been presented with with the truth, whether they're the people of Israel or the Gentiles, like that, that there's been a, the opportunity to obey the command of the king. And, you know, we go on to see later what that results in for those who diso- were disobedient to the king. Mm-hmm. I think the implications of this, even though like this is a historical event, like I, I feel like we're living in it. I mean, it, it takes on different form, right? Because now we know who Jesus is. We are not guessing kind of in the dark, half getting it like the disciples. You know, we, we have we have this clarity that's been gifted to us um, by the Holy Spirit and by the message of Christ and, and his disciples that were there with him. But I can't help but as I read this, look at how many of us, especially Nick, as you were talking about, like how many of us fall into those categories of when we hear the good news, what is our response? Do we say, that's great, and return to our fields? That's great, and return to our businesses. That's great. And then those guys are weirdos, right? Because we're not going to go kill people in America, although we know this is happening in other parts of the world. Sure. But but here, like that's that's not our reaction. But we have a tendency to label people and sometimes often with hostility. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think, I think we can read or we can see this very clearly having implications, practical application for us right now today. And I think it's worth reflecting on where, where we find ourselves in the midst of this. And it might even be like a moment by moment thing. It might not be like, hey, this is a whole life decision where I'm like, oh, that's great news. I'm going to go do my business. It might be, hey, that's great news. And I will give you 50% of my time because, well, 50% of my time is going to my business. Mm-hmm. Well, I imagine the the gentleman who came in and didn't wear the wedding clothing, he didn't think that was a life decision. I imagine he was thinking, well, I just... I just want the food or whatever was on his mind. I'm just here like, for the good stuff. Like, I'm sure his thought wasn't like, well, not wearing this is going to cost me something. And I mean, maybe culturally at that time, it, I, I know like there, w- there, there would have been implications in not wearing that, like what it would have meant, like in not showing honor to the king or whatever. But, um, you know, even beyond that, like in our time, like we probably wouldn't think like, I'm just not wearing clothes. Like what's a big deal? I think that's a good point is this this idea of showing honor to the king and how we dress. And you can see like when we talk about putting on our righteousness, 
we do that not because we're trying to like prove anything to God or trying to earn his affection even greater. Like we can't do that. He already loves us as much as he, as much as he can love us, but it puts us in a, a, a position where because he has so much love for us, what can we do but honor him by putting on the righteousness he's called us to? You know, it, I want to go back just a, a little bit. Maybe it, it still works into where we were just there, but um, Natasha, you were talking about, you know, you can't help but think about the implications for us today. So if you read that a little further, you get to what the king's response then was to those people who responded in that way. And the king's response is that he was enraged and he sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. So he destroyed the people who chose to kill his messengers and he destroyed their city. And as I think about that a little bit, I I guess there's kind of two levels that I got to think about it as to make sure I'm thinking about it right. Uh, On the first level, so parable, holding a mirror to people, I would assume he's probably holding a mirror to like the the Pharisees again at this moment. Um, And he is saying like, I'm essentially going or in the kingdom of heaven. What you guys have built, what you guys are doing is going to result in your destruction. And not just like the destruction of the individual, but the destruction of this structure that you have put in place that has led to the rejection and destruction of my messengers. And so when I think about it like that, I'm thinking like Jesus is, is very clearly indicating like he has in mind what's going to happen at his crucifixion, which is the veil is going to be torn. This, the, the system of like the, the, the temple is going to be done away with because they, they, they're, they're not needed anymore. Like Jesus is creating that space for everybody to have immediate and equal access to God. And so Jesus is painting this picture in this parable where he is like, I am going to destroy the institution that you have built. And so when I think about that now and bring it forward to us, it begins to make me, it's a, it makes me feel a little uneasy because it's like, I start to ask the question, well, what, what institutions have we built that have essentially that, that are functioning in the same way that, that the institution that the Pharisees built that Jesus in his kingdom, in the kingdom of heaven would be destroying. Well, I think when, when I think about things that, you know, things that we have built, I I think we need to examine the things that we do um, and live that vertizontal life, not only with the world, but also with the things that we do and things, you know, things within the church. Um, You know, are we um, just examining what against scripture and with what you know, the Lord is telling us. And if we feel that that is, you know, if he's telling you one thing 
and you, what does it say? You go your own way. Mm. Then maybe that is something that should be burned to the ground. So I, I feel like I have to ask the question of if we were, if, if Christ were to come before us today and we already know that he's here, but if we, if we pictured him, like we have this mirror, like just like he's saying it to us, that the, the wedding banquets today, would we be the ones that he would say is I invited them, but they did not deserve to come mm. because there are times in my own life when I see things and I, I know they don't reflect Jesus. And I feel like that that would be me at times. Like, you know what? I don't deserve to come. And yet I know his grace is sufficient. I know that his grace is greater than my sin, but yet at the same time, I recognize that if we're not doing that moment by moment living into who Jesus has called us to be and listening to Jesus and only Jesus, there are a lot of voices around. I mean, we've talked about all the noise that's around us. There are a lot of, there's a lot of noise, but if we're not only listening to Jesus and we know that comes through different avenues and we are, it's going to be easy to fall into those traps where it's like he presents us with an invitation and we go our own way and do our own thing. So then this then goes back to what Brittany was saying about how, like, if, I, I shouldn't say if, since Jesus is speaking to us today through Scripture, because we know he does, specifically this Scripture, we, we ought to hear it and be willing to honestly evaluate on a moment-by-moment, situation-by-situation uh basis and and be open and and willing to hear the criticism accept it and make course adjustments as necessary whether that's in our own personal life whether that's in our life as a church local church body whether that's in our life as a district body or a global body we need to be able to be humble enough to allow Jesus to speak. And even though it might go in the face of what we have done for, you know, whether it's a year, a decade, um, a century, whatever, we need to be able to be willing to make course adjustments so we aren't the ones who had a messenger sent to us, but decided to just go on about our business. Because if we go further down in verse 10, the wedding hall was filled with guests. Right. And I don't want to be, I don't want the wedding hall to be full and I not be one of the guests hmm. or my loved ones or, or my neighbor. And I just, I don't want to even look at it individually. Like we, we know that God called us here. Like, there are people that I've made relationships with that I don't I don't want them to miss out on that opportunity to be at a seat in the wedding banquet. And going back to the conversation we had earlier about wearing the proper attire and the proper clothing. I think for me, I think about a lot of people who would show up at the wedding banquet. They'd be thrilled, but they may not have on the right clothing. And so I think, I don't know, Jesus is reminding me of the importance of, of his call 
to help people to learn to listen to him and be led by him moment by moment and journey with them through that. Because I mean, everybody in this room, we'd all say like, we're still like, we're, we're, we're still working on it. It's funny that you say that. Cause at our table, we talked about that. Like this, it, how does anybody not say anything? Like, you know, that there's an expectation. And I mean, as somebody even referenced like a birthday party that they got invited to, it was supposed to be a formal event. And, and some one person showed up not wearing formal attire. And like the person that had the party, like called that individual out. Like, but like, how do you, how do you like, how do you not get to this point and try to help somebody? Like mm. you're sitting at a table like at this and you know, the expectation of the King Maybe not everybody knows the expectation of the king. Why would you sit by and just let them mm. do that? Like, if you can help it, like, hey, the wedding attire is like right over there. Just go grab the wedding attire and, and you'll be good. Like, you'll you'll honor the king. Like, if you do this, and I know that there's more to it than that, obviously, but, I mean, why wouldn't we want to help somebody do that? Mm-hmm. Well, and I think about that and that seems like such a, it's such a silly example because it seems so easy. Like we would always talk to people about that. I would have no problem being like, Hey, are we supposed to wear swimsuits to this thing, this birthday party for the kids? Or is this supposed to be like, you know, just playing out outside? Like what's going on? Is it bounce house? I don't understand. Like we would have no problem asking those questions, but all of a sudden when you're talking about people like like transformation and life change and spiritual well-being. Yeah. There's this line that's crossed and this wall that's put up where that's none, like you don't have any right to, to provide that information to me if I'm not asking. Whereas I would willingly accept information from anybody who'd walk up to me and be like, Hey, by the way, that party, you got to wear a swimsuit, you know, like that would be very, you know, very well accepted, I think by most people, but not so much with the, hey, like, we really need to work on the gossip thing or we really need to work on the lying thing. We really need to work on, you know, the, the anger thing. And these are, these are things that I don't think, one, we want to, like, stuff and hide. And we don't welcome this corporate journeying in the church. And so you have all sorts of people showing up to the banquet thinking they're fine because everybody's too scared to say, Hey, wear your bathing suit. There's some, so that it's, it's weird when my worlds collide, when, when my hospital <laughs> world and my church, it sometimes it's weird, but, um, we're going through something that you just perfectly described, um, at my hospital. Um, there's a culture, there's a culture that is, not conducive to accountability and really the the message that we're, we're we're trying to get out to people is if you see something say something you know if somebody walks into a room and doesn't gel in say hey don't forget to gel in it doesn't have to be something you know it doesn't have to be a big deal but it and we've allowed a culture of permissive disobedience and I feel like that is very true within the church as well that we've well, that doesn't, you know, that's them. And, you know, I'll let God deal with them, you know, but that's not what we're called to. We're called to help hold each other accountable. Mm -hmm. 
if we started treating the church like Paul treated the church, like we probably wouldn't make very many friends in the church, but you know, we would, if people viewed that, if we were able, not people, if we were able to view that in a way like that we didn't see as anything beyond love. Um, but it's hard to see those, like nobody wants to see correction as love, but I mean, that's what God does. Like we have a book full of God's correction and not because he's like an authoritarian because he loves us and he desires more for us than we can understand or fathom. So I think that's why it's so important to test every thought, right? So like God has placed people in your life, right? People you may not particularly like because, well, they're outspoken and they have a lot of opinions, (laughs) but God has placed them there nonetheless. And so whatever they say, you better be ready to take that before Jesus, present it to him and say, is this thought, is what they said, is what they shared with me, is their concern your concern? Because I think it's the, it's the prideful reaction and the unwillingness to, unwillingness to take it before Jesus that's really causing us this, this conflict in the church. And of course, nobody wants people to, to leave the, their fellowship over something like this because, well, we're trying to journey together and we're trying to grow together. And when you lose someone over something like this, that's, that's destructive to the church and it hurts the body that, that you leave. And so really we have to, we have to somehow figure out, like you said, get to a place where you can say, Hey, you know, gel in and whatever that means. (laughs) Hey, gel, gel in. And then, then the person isn't like, offended by it they're not like oh there she is again correcting me like that's not you know that's not where we're supposed to be we're supposed to take that and be like you know what i was supposed to gel in okay right and i know that's like an internal you probably don't have to take that one to jesus i don't know maybe you should but hey like you know it's it's that that moment of pause and saying hey jesus this fert is on a living i guess there's two thoughts that i have um in this conversation that we're having about uh, the proper attire at the wedding feast. Number one, and maybe we can deal with it first before the other thought. I mean, we're talking about clothes, but I don't think he's talking about making sure you wear your suit to the wedding. So what what are we talking about here when we're saying, like what is Jesus talking about when he is saying that, you know, the king came and saw that somebody wasn't dressed in their wedding attire? What what were they wearing or what should they have been wearing? So with the kids group, we talked about, we broke down this conversation of being clothed in righteousness that we talked about earlier. And so what is, what does that mean? What does that look, look like? And, um, the kids kind of wrestled with it a little bit. They were talking about, well, what is righteousness? That means to be right, to do right. And so what does that look like? And how do we know what's right? And, and through all of this conversation and this wrestling, they ultimately come up came up with the word obey and that Jesus's expectation for the wedding guests or for the people who are coming into his kingdom would be their obedience. And so we know, and we've talked about on this podcast several times that obedience looks like listening for Jesus at every moment of every part of the day, which is takes incredible discipline and practice and to not only hear his voice, 
but then to respond in obedience to whatever it is he's asking you to do or not to do or whatever he has for you in that moment. Mm -hmm. And so, and that's, that's a continual process throughout the whole day. And it's difficult when we get so busy with things, but that's, that's the kind of obedience that Jesus is expecting or the kind of clothing that Jesus is expecting for his wedding guests or the people that are coming into the kingdom of heaven. And, and contextually, there would have been an expectation of, of wearing the wedding clothes because that was a way of honoring the king and honoring his and, and being obedient to the king. And so, you know, obedience to Jesus, the king, is a way that we honor him. Being obedient to him is, is how we can honor him. And so the opposite of that we saw in those who rejected the invitation and disobedience. In in this instance, they both had a consequence. Obedience, the consequence was they were able to partake in the wedding banquet. And in being disobedient and not not following through with the invitation or or destroying those that were coming to give the invitation or the one who didn't wear the proper wedding attire that all came with a consequence that, that led to death. The invitation went freely to all, good and bad, according to Scripture. But there is an expectation that accompanies the invitation, right? It's not just like this free-for-all, everybody's invited, you know, do what you want. It's everybody's invited to this wedding banquet, and there is an expectation that comes with the wedding banquet, which is to be clothed, as you shared, in righteousness. And as you are clothed in righteousness, it indicates this posture of of respect and honor that you have for the king who has thrown this this wedding banquet. Um, I think the as I as I think about that. It makes me wonder, okay, so what did, because obviously this this dude that's not in the wedding clothes is different, yet somehow very similar to the people that rejected the invitation initially, because ultimately he has the same consequence as those people. Uh, he's dismissed from the wedding banquet. Um, and so I guess it made me think about how, like, maybe it, is it like this guy, like, he hears the invitation, wants the good of the invitation, but rejects, wants to reject the expectation that accompanies that invitation. The, the second uh, piece that I think has been kind of going through my mind is we've been talking a lot about uh, the wedding banquet and what happens at the wedding banquet or um, the, the person who wasn't clothed appropriately or the room full of people who were clothed appropriately. Um, but as I think about this particular parable, this statement that it is the kingdom of heaven is like, and Jesus refers to this wedding banquet from a biblical perspective, scripturally, you know, in revelation, we, we get that the banquet is coming, but it's not yet here. And so this is more of a down-the-road eschatological conversation to, to talk specifically about the banquet. And so I, I think I want to take a step back and, and place us, um, I guess, in time 
and where we are at in this parable. You know, we are not yet at the place of the feast. We are not yet at the place of the wedding banquet. And so not yet being at the banquet, we have received the invitation. So we're somewhere between the receiving of the invitation and the arrival and participation in the wedding banquet. We're in that in-between time as, as we live and breathe and work in the world and go to work and go to school and, and interact with our family and with our neighbors. And so what does it look like for us as we are on the journey from the invitation that we have received to the participation in the banquet? I know we have said, you know, as we show up at the banquet, we're clothed in righteousness. I know we have talked about a mutual accountability that should exist within the church. I know, Derek, you brought up this idea that, you know, you do, there are people that you know, you know, friendships that you have built with, with neighbors that you, you want to see them at the banquet. And so what does this look like for us? in this time between the invitation and participation in the banquet? Well, so we talked about like accountability, like you said, when we get there, but making sure that everybody has heard about the invitation because mm. some, you know, everybody's invited, but you know, I don't know how many servants went out and to tell people, but they might need help, you know, um, I think that's what I think about is making sure that everybody is aware that there is a banquet coming and that everyone is invited. And then in that same thought, holding each other accountable to get ready, to be prepared because we know this banquet is coming and we, you know, we don't know when that's coming yet, but we have to tell people and get help, get prepared and help others get prepared. Um, so that we can all be ready and all participate appropriately. I think the thing that, that sticks out to me from what we talked about on Sunday as well, that goes in with what you were just saying, Brittany, is this idea that as, as we are prepared or as we are preparing, we begin to look different. We begin to be set apart. You know, these, these clothes of righteousness that we are putting on this obedience to Jesus begins to manifest itself in the way that we talk. It manifests itself in the way that we act. It manifests itself in the way that we spend our time, in the way that we spend our money, in the way that we spend our talents, uh, in the way that we raise our children, in the way that we address conflict. It, it, it manifests itself in everything that we do. And so as we begin to, to look different... people will start to ask questions. The ease or the risk or anything associated with the servants going out with the invitation didn't affect the servant. The servant was given a task. We, the body of Christ, have been given a task in this filling of the banquet hall. And God has given us all the tools that we need to be successful, just like we talked about last week. With the tenants, yeah. He's given us all the tools to be successful. I think the thing that I take away from this 
is when I worry about the me, I miss the ministry. Like I really do. When I worry about me or how it affects me or how it impacts me or my life or my future, I miss all that happens in between that invitation and the banquet. Because, I mean, it's we. There are going to be hard times in in life and ministry and whatever you do. There are hard times, but the joy that you get from going and sharing the invitation and seeing helping see transformation far outweighs any of the potential consequence that could come with the downfall of a servant. And so I, for me, like I see a message of hope in this banquet. That yeah, there's a potential. If, you, if you're willing to follow the command of the king, there's potential for, you know, some earthly consequence. But I'm okay with that. I mean, I like to think I'm okay with that. Saying it's a lot easier than doing it. But I'm okay with that. Like, I think there's even been times when I've faced ridicule from my own family for choices that I've made related to um, doing what God wanted. And I'm okay with that. Like, I'm okay with that. And so, you know, Jesus, just help me to continue to be okay even when I, like, more than just in word, but in deed. I want to be willing to say, that's okay, I'm willing to give it all. Because ultimately... That's what we're about to read about or talk about is is what Jesus was going to do. And this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. And so the kingdom of heaven is like a wedding banquet. And someday we are going to have the opportunity to participate in that banquet. But right now we find ourselves in the time between the invitation and that participation. And so how this week are we going to allow, I I suppose the question is, how this week are we going to allow ourselves to be used by Jesus to continue to spread the good news of that invitation to all those around us, regardless of what it might cost us? Be sure to follow the Living Vertizano podcast to stay current on all our new releases. To learn more about the Church at Riverstone, visit us at thechurchatriverstone.org.